Thanks for joining us here on Service to School Stories. Your hosts for this season are Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO and Navy veteran. And Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer and former College Admissions Officer. This season will cover topics as it relates to higher education, military service transition, and career opportunities and outcomes for veterans. Join us as we share student stories, inside tips from the admissions office, and conversations with employers actively hiring student veterans. Here we go. All right, welcome to the Services School podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Alex Clark. Alex served as a U.S. Air Force Intel Analyst for six years, and he's currently working as a lawyer for Haynes and Boone in Dallas, Texas. He is a UT Law School graduate, and um, he actually has a very interesting background in that in between his undergraduate time and his military service, he worked for Teach for America and he and also for a number of political campaigns. Outside of work, he's married with a daughter and a black lab, and he's also passionate about distance running. In 2020, he ran 2,020 miles to raise money for service to school, and he one day hopes to run the Boston Marathon. All right. So, Alex, tell us about your background and what brought you to the military. Sure. Thanks. And a very nice introduction. I'm um, I'm the proud grandson of uh, Master Sergeant Samuel Allen Ball, who's uh, kind of the I always called him the Southern trifecta. He was, um, you know, 26 years in the Air Force. He was there so long that it was actually the Army Air Corps when he joined. He was a Southern Baptist preacher and he was a hog farmer. So um, he had a really eclectic uh, group of experiences and was my hero growing up. Uh, We always made it a point to go see him on Sundays after church and bring him some food. He would tell me stories about his time in the service, uh, his friends, his um, uh, pranks, honestly, uh, were great stories. Um, But also the kind of instilling the sense of wonder in the world around uh, me um, give me a broader perspective and helping me understand that service to one's community is so important in living a well-lived life. And so when I was in high school, I wanted to join the Air Force uh, right away. And he was the only person who could talk me out of it. He said that I should go to college first, that me and my cousins, we should become the kind of the first generation to go from high school to college and that the Air Force would wait for me. Um, and so I got a scholarship uh, to go to Austin College, which is in a small liberal arts school in Sherman, Texas. And um, I did that instead. But um, I knew joining the Air Force was always going to be something I wanted to do. So um, it just took me a lot, little bit longer to get there. You, you kind of mentioned the, at the start that I did Teach for America right out of college. And so um, that kind of elongated the time period. But it was actually during my second year of teaching that I started the enlistment process. Um, I had a recruiter uh, who uh, told me that it would be better for me to enlist since I didn't want to make it a career because I could pick my job. And um, it was true. Um, when I took the ASVAB, I really kind of had my pick of the litter. And uh, Intel really spoke to me. Wow, very cool. So I'm actually really interested in hearing about your time at Teach for America. Where did you teach and how has that ex- uh, experience impacted you? Yeah, so I joined Teach for America because I, um, in my studies, learned about just how important, especially male role models were in the early years. And so I taught third grade. Um, There was actually um, a a State of the Union address while I was in college that said, if you wanted to serve your country, become a teacher. Um, 
And as someone who was, you know, I consider myself pretty patriotic and wanted to serve the country. Obviously, I had interest in joining the Air Force. Um, that really spoke to me. And so um, I, I signed up for, for third grade. Um, first year that students take the standardized tests. And my wife and I actually both did Teach for America right out of the gate. I proposed to her the day before we found out if we both were going to get in or not, which was very risky, but it worked out. We both got our number one um, choice, which for us was uh, San Antonio. Um, she taught on the west side. I taught, taught on the east side. And um, it was a leadership crucible like none other. Um, it will all it will always be the hardest job I've ever had is to teach a classroom um, full of students who's lives are going to be severely impacted on whether or not um, they're reading on grade level by the end of the year. Um, It's something that doesn't get talked enough about, but um, you kind of become the CEO of your classroom and everything is kind of on you. And so you figure it out or you fail. And um, it might have something to do with all these uh, early gray hairs I have. That's, that's great. And it's interesting because a lot of veterans go into teaching but it seems that fewer people do it the other way around, which is the path that that you took. And so I'd be interested to hear how your experience in the classroom helped you um, during your time in the military. Well, yeah. So uh, I kind of alluded it to being the hardest job I'll, I'll, I've ever had. And I and I mean that. I, I mean, teaching made the military seem pretty easy. Um, if I could have, I had a, a few months before law school started where I taught um, sixth grade to some students who hadn't had a full-time teacher for a few months. And if I had to redo my worst day of basic training or that first day of teaching sixth grade, um, I would absolutely go back into the gas chamber (laughs) at at basic. Uh, That was rough. So yeah, teaching is leadership development. It is learning how to break things down um, and explain them in a simpler way. And especially in my job as an Intel analyst, that was really the name of the game is whether you're taking a bunch of classified complex information and writing it to an audience, um, whether it be, you know, the commander um, of the the wing or a flight crew that was about to go on a mission or just somebody who was about to deploy um, is really the same set of skills. Gotcha. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. So switching tracks a little bit to your, your law school experience. So, Tell us about how you prepped for law school admissions, the LSAT, uh, in addition to going through your program at Teach for America and also preparing for uh, for your basic training at, with the Air Force. Well, that covers a lot of things, but I'll, I'll take the first one first, which is um, getting ready for law school, You know, the admissions process. It was completely uh, not intuitive and kind of scary. Um, and a big reason why I continue to do um, service to school um, as an ambassador myself is that uh, I was lucky enough to have someone from my Teacher America um, class who had um, gotten into Yale Law School. It was kind of top of the top. And he took me under his wing and helped me understand the process, looked over my resume, um, made suggestions on LSAT prep books I could do um, and sign up for classes and that kind of thing. So I just I feel very strongly that I, I needed to pay it for because um, someone helped me. And um, if it hadn't been for that, uh, there's no no telling um, how important that fork in the road was. Yeah. And you mentioned that crucial piece there, the LSAT. And 
just really interested in hearing, you know, how you how you started studying it because it's definitely a very daunting test. I did go the law school route. I went the uh, the business school route. So in, in my world, it was the GMAT. But it seems like a lot of veterans are interested in pursuing a legal career. But whenever the topic of law school comes up, they realize just how big of a amount it is to climb. And that it seems like the hardest part is that that LSAT. So definitely interested in hearing some of your words of wisdom and how you prepare for that test and how you eventually succeeded on it. Sure. So I took um, a power score course, which I recommend. They've got these um, LSAT prep Bibles that you can do on the three different sections of the of the exam. And um, I think the, the main thing about the LSAT is it can be very intimidating, but the reality is it's, it's very learnable. I grew, a, I think it was 13 points from my kind of initial diagnostic, like just taking a, a test cold. And then uh, at the end of all of my preparation, what is nice about the LSAT is that you're not subjected to kind of just memorization. Like I imagine, I only can imagine um, how medical tests are. Like you, you don't have to know the names of bones or or organs or anything like that. It, it is a test for how you think. It's logical reasoning, logical games, reading comprehension. Um, there's no um, knowledge requirement so much as a test of how you can reason your way through these different types of questions, how you can um, understand and respond. And so if you can learn how the test makers are setting questions up and what they're looking for, there's kind of a, a, an internal logic to the way it works. And if you can learn that, then you you can really Im- increase your score. And so I think some people are, are nervous about the idea of spending money on books or on a course. The reality is the amount of money you make up in difference uh, with extra scholarship um, based on your LSAT score more than pays for it for itself. And so I, I always recommend it to my my mentees through service to school that they um, one, buy the materials to sign up for the tests, but also to take lots and lots of practice tests. Gotcha. How many practice tests would you say you took before you got the score you wanted? I only took one actual LSAT. So I'll say that up front. Um, But I did take uh, many, many uh, practice tests. And and the good news is there are a lot of them out there. Um, I couldn't tell you. It's been a while now. I, um, I guess that was about seven or so years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. And for in my world, I think I took about 10 practice GMATs before I finally went in and took the test for real. And unlike you, it was just, it was one and done, but it was a lot of work to get there. I think it, in my case, it's about 200 hours of prep time. Um, I don't know if that's, that matches what you had with the LSAT, but the standardized tests are, they're, they're not a lot of fun, but like you said, um, they're very learnable. And with, uh, you know, with, with enough reps, you're going to get good of the good at them, and you're going to get the scores you need to go where you want to go to. Just take some work, and um, I'm just really interested in hearing about your experience at law school. So when you went to law school, you were Teach for America um, veteran. You were serving in the Air Force Reserve, and uh, you were also a service to school mentor. So that's it seems like you had a lot on your plate. So I'm interested in how the law school experience was for you. I, this is probably an unpopular thing to say, but I actually really enjoyed law school. Um, I like um, the experience of learning, um, being on a campus with classmates um, 
and again, I think having been in Teach for America, um, just being on the other side of it, being a student as opposed to being responsible for lessons uh, was was really, really nice. Um, and yeah, while I had reserve duties that other students didn't have to deal with, it really wasn't so bad. And in fact, because I had done enough active duty time at that point um, to qualify for the first rung of the GI Bill, I had 40% of my tuition covered. I had 40% of a housing stipend and 40% of a, a book stipend. And so in many ways, um, you know, my experience was probably a lot better than most of my classmates. Um, and in fact, I think because of the skill set was pretty similar, um, I think there's a lot of crossover uh, in the sense that research and writing is basically the job of lawyer. Um, I don't know if you, you get a different sense of that watching Law and Order or kind of movies and TV shows, but the reality is your day in and day out for most people, especially at the beginning of their career, it's just it's just research and writing. And so as an Intel analyst, um, the skill set was very transferable. Gotcha. What would you say your favorite class was at law school? Um, this was a surprise for me, but it was contracts. Um, I loved contracts. We had a great professor who made it really interesting. He kind of was dramatic and had a big personality and he would kind of set the stage. And like, who were, these are the characters. And he would really get us to think about what was really going on beyond what you could tell um, just on the surface of certain opinions or documents to think about the motivations of the people involved and what was really going on. And I did love that. And I actually ended up becoming um, his teaching assistant later on in law school because of it. Um, and then the other thing I think is just um, because of my my kind of natural interest in, in, in politics is uh, my constitutional law classes as well. Very cool. Professors make all the difference. Um, so yeah, the, the same experience where I had one professor and uh, one of my operations classes just was was so energetic. He, he held my attention. It was the one I did the best in and ended up becoming a teacher's assistant as well. So at the at the outset, the topic seemed kind of dry to me, but it was that, that one professor made all the difference. So definitely hear you on that one. Um, and then the other thing that that you mentioned that was very interesting to me was uh, setting up the Texas Law Veterans Association. Um, how was that? And did you get a lot of vets at, uh, at Texas Law? So one of the problems um, throughout, I would say, law schools around the country is that there are not that many of us. Um, but for those of us um, who are at law schools, uh, I think there was a big um, opportunity we, we recognize is that um, we have certain shared experiences and we have um, certain shared um, opportunities and challenges and I and we wanted to fill in that gap that we we noticed at the law school. And so me and uh, my best friend from law school, uh, Miguel Ortiz, he and I, we co-founded um, the Texas Law Veterans Association, which had existed before, but had fallen off. And what we wanted to do is make sure there was a place where we could get together. We could um, root for each other. We could we could share our um, our knowledge and help one each other out. Um, and it, it started off with really, really humble aspirations. Um, we would actually just get together and work out um, before before class. Um, by the time everyone else was waking up, we had already worked out and showered and we were ready to go. We kind of keeping that kind of rhythm of military life helped us, I think, um, especially in that critical first year of classes where um, so many of your opportunities are decided. Um, I don't know if you know about the basic structure of law school, but everyone in the country takes the same set of classes that first year. And um, based on those classes, um, 
and the grades that come out of them, um, your kind of initial summer experiences will be very expansive um, or very limited. Gotcha. Yeah, I've, I've had some friends who've gone to law school, um, so that I've, I've heard heard similar things. It's definitely a pressure cooker, and I'd, I'm also curious to see how you you manage your family obligations. You had mentioned that that you're married. Um, I don't know if you've you'd had your child at this point, but how you balance your family um, while you're at law school is something I definitely like to hear a little bit more about. Yeah, there's a, a people joke that uh, you know law school is a place where people get divorced a lot. And, um, it was definitely a um, tough experience. And, and my wife is also very ambitious and, and hardworking. She actually got her master's degree in special education and in particular um, visual impairment while I was at law school, working at the Texas School for the Blind. Um, and so, you know, as I was coming home from my first year classes, she would like be learning how to do Braille and, and those kinds of things. And so we both had a lot on our plate. But um, it's kind of like I was saying with with Teach for America, making everything else seem easier by comparison. It's like if we made it through the the law school experience and everything else um, seems seems easier now. Um, we actually didn't have our first child until um, about eight and a half months ago. Um, we've been married for 10 years. Um, we got married a week after I graduated from college. And so um, it's been a weird experience going from really nine years of public sector salary, um, teaching Air Force, and then working for a judge to now at my first private sector salary um, here in Dallas at the law firm. It's, I think, not a coincidence that it's the first time I've had a house, and the first time I have a kid. Awesome. So one more thing I'd like to hear a little bit more about. You, you mentioned your your career trajectory and um, looking at your resume, um, the first job you had a, at a law school was as a judicial clerk. Um, I think our listeners would be interested to hear what that entailed and, and what drove you down that path. Yeah, it's um, something I wouldn't have known about had it not been for people at the law school um, being really intentional about getting us to think about it and to kind of lay the groundwork for what you need for those kinds of applications early on. I highly recommend it for anyone who, um, who goes the law school route. Um, it's something that I think, again, it's not necessarily intuitive, but um, it is one of those things that is so good for your career. And I don't know that a lot of uh, kind of diverse applicants are considering it. Um, working for a, a judge, whether it be, you know, state Supreme Court, or in my case, a federal judge, um, is a really great way to start your career because you get a lot more early exposure to higher responsibility tasks than you would in your first couple of years at a law firm. And more than that, you get to mm -hmm. learn how a judge thinks, how they consider um, different styles of advocacy, um, different kind of written submissions. You see kind of a range of like good, good product and bad product. Um, you start to get an idea of what kind of lawyer you want to be based on just the good, the bad and the ugly that comes through. And um, it's just one of those things also that I think it's a feather in your cap that you get to carry with you for your entire career. It will never not be important that I was Judge Akel's clerk uh, for two years because his reputation is established, whereas people might not know who I am or what I'm about. But just because I'm associated with him, that opens doors. Gotcha. And then so is the trajectory then you you do a couple years with uh, with the judge as, as their clerk, and then you go on into working for a, a law firm? 
Yeah, or, or whatever. I mean, um, it's usually one or two years. Um, my judge happened to do two-year clerkships. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's a pretty standard course to to take your experience and then roll it right into going into law firm life. Some people will go and become U.S. attorneys, uh, assistant U.S. attorneys. Um, they'll go and work for nonprofits. They'll do defense work um, with the public defender's office. Um, you know, there's really no set thing you have to do after working for a judge um it's a really great kind of launch pad especially if you want to change what your route had been um having experience with um, a judge is kind of a really kind of comprehensive and there's um not a lot you can't do based on having had that as your your first your first out of law school experience yeah good stuff and so then after that, uh, after that experience clerking, um, tell me what, uh, or tell us rather what, what brought you to Haynes and Boone and the kind of work you do there. Yeah. Um, so what typically happens, uh, I kind of referred to it before is that you get your first set of grades, you get a summer experience going into your second, um, your second summer. Um, and that's usually the job that you come back to after you graduate and you take the bar and you pass the bar. I was going to come to a firm in Dallas um, that, for whatever reason, they had a policy that said, uh, if you have a two-year clerkship, uh, we're just going to give you one of those years credit. Um, and as someone who is a non-traditional student, a little older already, something about that just seemed a little uh, a little off. Retrospective probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been that big a deal. But at that time, I was really looking to see if there were other places that would give me two years credit for two years of clerking. And so I just kind of started um, asking around about it. Um, and I was also very intentionally looking at firms I think would be good for uh, family life because, you know, been married for a long time at that point. I was looking to start our family. And Haynes Moon had a great reputation for, for being family friendly. And they were willing to uh, offer me those those two years. And so I, I did my interviews. I had a really good impression with, of them. And, and one thing kind of led to another. And so that's where I've started my career here um, in, in Dallas. Um, after all this time, right, coming back up to North Texas, where my wife and I are from. And I tell you, having uh, grandparents nearby who can babysit for free, it makes all the difference. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And then you uh, you've also been involved with veterans at, at your law firm as well. Um, wondering if you could touch a little bit on that, um, how you how you set up your veterans association and and how you've networked with other veteran lawyers. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I um, was at my orientation as a new lawyer. Uh, we call it Hey Boo You. And um, we were kind of getting exposed to all the different inclusion networks we have within the firm. And um, being the curious and inquisitive person I am, I, I ask, you know, are we are we ever going to have a, a veterans network? Um, you know, just kind of that's my background, having been the Texas law veterans guy. And turns out whenever you ask questions like that, they, they, they put you in charge of the newly created <laughs> Veterans Network. And so me and um, a co-chair, uh, Paul Amiel, he's a partner, I'm an associate. We are the co-chairs of our Veterans Network. And we've had just a great first year of something that didn't exist before. I mean, we've sponsored the Service to School JD MBA Virtual Fair. We've um, had uh, the VIP tent sponsorship of the Dallas Young Lawyers Freedom Run. We've done interviews with four-star generals and the head of the, the IMF and 
you know, rear admirals. I think we're off to a great start and I'm really excited about all the things we're going to be able to do going forward. Uh, we're we're going to be really intentional about making sure we're uh, bringing in veteran candidates to our firm to just as a recruiting perspective. We, we're sponsoring the clubs at University of Texas, Southern Methodist University, University of Virginia. Um, but beyond that, just within the people amongst us who are already there, I mean, we're, we're making sure that we get connected with one another, that we are lifting each other up, and we're making sure that people, um, not only within the firm, but our clients and, and potential clients know that there is value in people who have had our experiences, who have served in one capacity or another um, in, amongst the various branches. And in fact, we actually have um, veteran members from all the different branches. We've actually got a veteran from um, the UK in our veterans network. So we're, we're international too. Worldwide. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to also hear about your, you, you touched on it just, just now, but I'd like to hear about the experience you've had with services school, um, service schools law program, and uh, and how you you've mentored veterans through the law school admissions process, and and how you intend to continue to serve um, the veteran community um, within law. Yeah, so I I got involved with service school in that first year um, of law school after we founded the Texas Law Veterans Association. That was kind of our service component. Um, we would have members give back in that way, and we would also have um, a tie-in with the Austin Bar Association's um, Veterans Legal Advice Clinic. But it's it's been incredible to have been a part of it for this long because now I've I've got people I've been mentor to who have not only graduated but they've passed the bar and they're in practice now and it's really um rewarding to see people um who maybe they didn't have the the highest opinion of themselves going into the process realizing they can um go to schools much higher ranked than they would have initially thought um, and just to see all the success that they've had i see this as something i i want to continue doing um kind of the rest of my career. I think that there's a lot of skills and benefit to the world that service members provide that sometimes uh, we're the least likely to recognize and we need someone to buck us up and make us feel like the strong candidates that we actually are. And um, I really enjoy getting to do that. That's, uh, that's awesome. And then one other thing I have to ask you about is this 2020 miles uh, run in the year 2020 uh, to raise money for service to school. So number one, thank you so much for doing that. Um, and I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that uh, that project. Um, by my math, it's about 40 miles per week. How did you run that much? How did you break it down? How did you train for it, recover? And um, yeah, just pretty much everything. I like to hear uh hear how that went for you because that yeah, definitely it, sounds a little aggressive it, it's it was a, a weird thing um so i was i was clerking at that point and um everything political in my life had to, to shut off um i actually deactivated my facebook and instagram accounts because i didn't trust myself to stay out of political conversations um there's really strict ethical rules um for clerks and i i, I had this joke about running in 2020, right? It kind of sounded like a you know, campaign or something. But the reason why I wanted to do it was I had been exposed to David Goggins's book called Can't Hurt Me. 
Um, it was given out for free at a TFA Teach for America military uh, conference I went to in San Antonio. And I got really inspired by the kind of just sign up for a big goal with no expectation, <laughs> honestly, that you could do it and just figure it out, right? A big, hairy, audacious goal, a, a BHAG, right? And um, at that point in my life, I had never run more than, I think, maybe 400 miles in a year. So this was a, a big jump, like 400 to 2,000. Um, and I, I I made a Google Excel like she with like how many, like you said, you broke down the numbers, you figure out where's the end, what do you got to do in between to get there? I would update it every day. If I had done less than the average I needed to do every day, then my average would go up. If I did more, it would go down. And so anytime I missed a day, it was always like, oh no, <laughs> uh, those are more miles I have to make up later. I was so nervous about getting injured. I, I took fish oil and collagen and joint pills and I did, I found um, a yoga studio who would partner with me and uh, gave me a membership for free so long as I would like tag them in posts so that I could take care of my my, my body and my joints. Um, I called them my my running mates, people who would help me out with this, this project. Um, and actually before we got started, um, kind of running mates and kind of political jokes like that, um, I actually had a congressman uh, an ex-congressman announced my run as like an endorsement video. It's funny because the people in my life just assumed I was I was going to be running for office eventually. And so the joke was on them when they realized that this was just a fundraising gimmick 20, 2020 and 2020, right? But it was, it was a good experience. And it really taught me that um, I can do hard things, especially if I just do that kind of backwards planning, the kind of backwards planning that was really... Um, same set of skills that have been with me since I, I graduated college and became a teacher. Because when you are um, an educator, it's all about figuring out where you're trying to get your, your classroom and and what you need to do in between to get there. Yeah, like uh, that's it's, it's incredible to to hear to hear that story. And I'm just I mean, I, I do some some light running myself. I, I'd say I'm definitely probably a little less than the 400 mile a year club. And curious how you how you staggered your runs did you just run like a set amount every day like six seven miles a day or did you alternate very long run with a sort of recovery run uh how did you or did you run multiple times a day you mentioned some yoga like would you do like yoga in the morning run in the afternoon just how did that training routine look for you so i will say i was benefited by being a judicial clerk um and having um a more stable kind of, you know, government job experience of, you know, you start at a certain time and you generally end around a certain time, but I could also go on a run during the middle of the day, like, for, like during the lunch hour. Um, if anyone's really interested in, in seeing all this, uh, you can go to smashrun.com slash amc.texas and you can go to 2020 and, and look at all my runs. But I think if I remember correctly, I kind of, um, leaned on the advice of um, Alan Sumrall. It was the fastest person I knew. And he became, kind of became my unofficial run coach. And I called him one of my running mates as well, right? And he got me to kind of gradually uh, ramp up. And then it was a matter of hitting every, um, every day. Um, I think it was maybe four or five miles, something consistent, but a little less than what I needed on average per day. And then hitting longer runs on the weekend. It got to a point where um, my running fitness, just through the consistency of, of 
having built up to it, I could go and run a half marathon or more on the weekend, um, just casually. And that was really weird for me. Um, I had never been able to do anything like that before. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of power in recognizing that someone is better than you at something and knows more than you about something and really trusting them. So that was true whenever I was leaning on my friend Theo from TF True America, who was at Yale Law, whenever I was doing my applications. It was true when I needed Alan Sumrall's help um, running 2,020 miles without killing myself um, and letting my knees break and all that. Um, and uh, I think that's been a, a good lesson for me to learn is that there are people out there who know more than me or that are better than me at things, and I, and I need their help. Um, if I want to do um, big things that I haven't been able to do on my own. Yeah, that's such a, that's such a powerful story. I really love it. Um, yeah, and we, as we wrap things up, I uh, just want to get one last, uh, one last question for you. And um, what piece of advice or what advice would you give um, to veterans right now that are considering law school? They might not have made up their mind yet. They're looking at a bunch of different options, but number one, what, what have you loved about, the law and, and how you've leveraged your experience as a veteran in your legal career? Um, and what have you also leveraged about the military to make you successful there? Hmm. So I would say that if you are considering law school, you should ask yourself whether you want to be a lawyer. Whenever I was in my undergrad um, and when I was in college, I was in the pre-law program, but was really kind of nervous about going into law school um, after that, because at that point in my life, I had no, not met any lawyers I wanted to be like. Um, I think it, it's too much stress. It's too much work. It's too long and it's too much money if you don't want to do it. <laughs> like if you don't actually want to practice law, don't go to law school. Like go go the business school route. Go get a degree in whatever it is you actually want to do. So I would say like there needs to be a period of real intense um, investigation about whether it's something you want to do or not. You should go and talk to lawyers and go meet. And there's a big range of what lawyers do. Um, it's not all the same. And you should find out, um, reach out to different people, uh, reach out to me. Happy to talk to you. Um, there's a big range, right? You can be a litigator. You can be a transactional lawyer. You can be a prosecutor. You can be in defense. You can do all sorts of different things as someone with a law degree, but you really need to know not exactly what you want to do, but if you want to do that, if you want to do the practice of law, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase, um, the advice I would give you then is once you've decided that is something you're interested in, is to take the process of applying to school very seriously. Treat it like a job. When you get to school, treat school like a job because Everything you do um, early on is really setting up your career. And I think that I've been really lucky to have had people e each step of the way who could give me advice, who counsel me, who could um, teach me, who could make sure that um, I was being exposed to opportunities I wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, and I think that as someone who's coming from a, a service background, you are uniquely set up to succeed in, in this kind of uh, environment because of um, just a number of things. Uh, a lot of your classmates are going to be what I call a K through JD. Um, that means they've gone through kindergarten and then they're going to go 
the school to school to school, right? Like from undergrad to the law school and that's it. Like they'll graduate at 25. Um, and that's great for them who for, that works out for them. Obviously not, not the route I went. And it's weird for me as a 33 year old seeing, you know, people who've been at firms for seven, eight years, <laughs> um, who are my age, but, um, there are benefits on being the, on going this way too. Um, I'm a little, little more mature. I've had life experiences and as a veteran law school applicant, you will have had life experiences that your classmates will not have had. Um, and when you're applying to jobs, I think you can tell a story about how those experiences set you apart. And I think that's what I've been able to do. And um, so I think lean in, sign up for a service to school mentee, uh, mentor, and they'll help you be able to tell that story. 100%. Step one, give service to school a call, right? That's right. Fill out that online form and, and get the ball rolling. But great. Look, Alex, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. Um, you've had an incredible story. And uh, thank you for your service, both to your country and to uh, services school and keep running. That's it for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more service to school stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, the Director of Student Success, and produced by Amanda DeBias, the Director of Communication at Service to School. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next time and follow us for more on all of your favorite social media platforms.